0: chapter 5. This has some interesting interactions with three different characters. So it's Jesus and the three amigos. That's what happens in Luke chapter 5. I want to look at these interactions starting with amigo number one, the leper. Let's read out of verses 12 and 13. (coughs) Excuse me. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered or full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, as all lepers would have and as we would, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. More on that later. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Wow, in, this ver- in these verses, Jesus comes into contact with this leper and has this discussion with him, and we learn so much about our Savior in this interaction. First of all, I want you to pay attention to the response Jesus had when this leper begged him to heal him. Jesus responded with three powerful words. I am willing. That's what he says, I am willing. So often, I think we believe deep down, we have to talk God into being good to us. That we have to convince him that we're worthy candidates of his love. That's what we do. I want to show you a quote from the actress the icon, really, Marilyn Monroe. Look what she says one time in an interview. I am good, but I'm not an angel. I do sin, but I'm not the devil. I'm just a small girl in a big world trying to find someone to love. And I read that, and I thought, that's how we all feel. Really, isn't it? We all feel like we're just trying to find someone to love, and we're trying to find people that will love us, and we're trying to find God, and hopefully He will love us. But we know we have good and bad in us, and we're so afraid that if people or even possibly god notice the bad in us that it might drive them away so we keep our secrets it's like we all have this inner housekeeper this part of us that is anal retentive and obsessively compulsed with tidiness and neatness and order and that's and it just hates messes that part of us just hates messes but we're all human so messes happen right so this housekeeper pressures us okay Well, there's messes in your life. But by all means, keep those messes a secret so it doesn't drive people away from you and it doesn't drive God away from you. Keep those messes a secret. And then the housekeeper usually piles on the shame in our life and says, oh, by the way, if you really love God, if you really had faith, you wouldn't have messes. It's a horrible situation. It reminds me of the 90s sitcom um, Friends, and some of you are too young for Friends, Okay. Friends was a story, and that's sad that you don't know this, but my wife and I actually have the, the DVDs of it, and it's this group of friends in New York City, this group of 30-year-olds just trying to make it through life, right? And it, there at one point, this one episode, I love this, there's a character named Monica, and she's the housekeeper. Everything has its place in her apartment. She's constantly cleaning. She's a total neat freak. And she gets engaged to a character named, named Chandler, And at one point, Chandler and his friend Joey are in Monica's apartment, and they see this door that's locked to a closet, and they can't get it open. That's so strange. They want to get it open. They spend all day, and they finally break into the closet. They open the door, and it's a mess. It's just full of junk, and they're shocked. So they close it, and they're going, oh, my gosh, and they're just shocked. They tell Monica about it later, and Monica is horrified because she thinks that because Chandler, her fiancé, knows about this mess— in her life, it'll drive him away, but it does the opposite. Instead of driving him away, it just made her seem more human to him. It actually drove him closer to her, and she is then free from her fear. That's what happens in the verses we just read. The leper is so free. The leper's free to come into the presence of Jesus and admit that his life is far less than perfect. And to all this, Jesus says, I am willing. It's so cool. That's what he says to all of us. Yes, I am with you. I love you. I see the good in you. I also see the bad in you. And I am willing. I'm willing to bring cleansing and wholeness and healing into the chaos and disorder that's hidden inside of you. So fire your inner housekeeper and let me be on the job. So that's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing about this leper Jesus touched him. Touched him. Leprosy, if you don't know, is a disease of numbness. People who contract leprosy lose their ability to have feeling on their, in their skin. And you might think, well, that would be cool. People could punch me. I couldn't even feel it. All that kind of stuff. No, it's not cool because you can get cuts and gouges and abrasions and not notice them. So lepers would be full of open sores and wounds and infections and lots and lots of pus. And this guy, it said, was full of leprosy. So he had leprosy in the advanced stages. Because of this condition, lepers were outcast in this culture and still are in some places in the world in, to this day. Lepers were ostracized in society, separated from their friends and even their family members, allowed no contact with them. When you walked down the street as a leper, if someone else was on the same side of the street, you had to raise your arms and say, unclean, unclean, so that person could the street and not come into contact with you. If a leper even petted a dog, that dog would be put to death instantly in this culture for fear that it would be a carrier of this disease. This was an awful situation going on here. But here's Jesus. He comes across this leper and he doesn't cross the street. He doesn't try to get away from him. In fact, he goes up to him and the scripture says he touched him The Greek for that word touch means he took hold of him. He's probably hugging him, which would have shocked everybody in town to see someone hugging a leper. You just didn't do that. Personally, as a germaphobe, this scripture just gives me the heebie-jeebies, okay? You're hugging a leper. I remember a couple of years ago, I was called, one of my duties as a pastor, one of my privileges, not a duty— is I get to visit people in the hospital. I'm looking around the room. I've visited several of you and your friends and family in the hospital. And I was visiting this one grandma, the sweet older grandma, and she, she wasn't doing well. She just wasn't doing well at all. She, her condition was progressively getting worse. So I show up at Riverbend, and I go, and I'm, I'm at the check-in station, and I'm about to go into a room. They go, no, 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 no. That patient has developed this severe infection. We need you... this on and they hand me like a space suit it's like a space suit okay with gloves and a mask and everything remember i'm a germaphobe so i'm going oh oh shoot (laughs) okay (laughs) i go oh shoot that's what i said right i go are you kidding me and i every molecule in my body wanted to go "Ah, she'll be okay i'll pray for her from out in the hallway right But she really wanted to visit, and I'd visited her before, so I go, oh, I gotta go in. So I put my space suit on, and the mask, and gloves, and everything, and I'm going in there. And we had this, like, glorious time. We prayed, and even laughed, and talked, and I knew it was one of her last days. It turned out it was her last day. She passed on just several hours later, and it was so wonderful to visit her. And as I left, Um, they made me take off my spacesuit, and then they had this special washing station. Remember, I'm a germaphobe, right? So I'm spending all kinds of time. I'm washing everything I possibly can. And then I'm so freaked out, I'm walking down the hall, you know those little hand sanitizers? I'm stopping it like every other one. I just wanted to just cover myself. And I get home, I don't know what I did with my clothes. Burnt them, threw them away, did something with them, took a shower. I just felt like I couldn't get clean enough. And so I read this, and I go, Jesus hugged a leper, and I think, did he feel like me? As the leper walked away, did he go, oh, I'm so glad I healed him. Look how wonderful his life is. Can somebody give me some soap, okay? That's what I imagined in my head. Jesus could have healed this guy from a distance. for He could have prayed for him at a distance. He did that with other people in certain situations. But with this guy, he chose to touch him because Jesus knows the healing power of touch. Touch is so powerful. University of Arizona did a study not long ago, and they studied some people for various reasons that had suffered some touch deprivation, just didn't have much physical contact in their life. And they realized they'd all developed certain physical maladies, including severe depression and intense loneliness. That's what happened. And they called this condition, I love this, skin hunger. That's what they call it. The people have skin hunger we need a certain amount of healthy human contact, and we suffer. Our skin gets hungry when we don't. I've told most of you this story, because uh, it's so impacted my life, I end up telling it about every two years. I went to speak at a camp in Montana when I was a middle school pastor. And after we put the kids to bed, that's when the fun started, because that way all the counselors and the staff got together and talked till the wee hours in the morning. I made such good friends there. And one guy I was asking about his family, he was a young man, um, just graduated from college, and I, he goes, yeah, I have a brother. And I, I go, tell me about it. your brother. He goes, oh, and everybody goes, oh, you're going to want to hear this. And I go, what is going on here? He goes, well, here's the situation. There were three kids in their area, and this was outside of Billings, Montana, that had suffered horrendous neglect. The mom just put the kids, all three of them, in car seats, fed them a couple times a day, but then shut the door and didn't even go around and wouldn't listen to their crying, wouldn't comfort them, nothing. It was absolutely horrible abuse and his family adopted all three of them got adopted out his family adopted one of the little boys as a baby and he'd already developed some severe developmental disorders and so his mom when they got the boy home he was so excited i got a little brother i got a little brother and his mom when they got the boy home said now what i want you to do is you just leave him alone he's been through a lot so i'm gonna put him down to go to bed and you just leave him alone we can you can play with him in the morning But for this guy, this little brother was like getting a brand-new Christmas present, right? Okay? So his mom would go to bed, and he'd crawl out of his bed in the middle of the night, grab his little brother, take him into his bed with him, and cuddle with him all night long, every night. His mom never knew this. And then he'd set his alarm, wake up earlier than his mom, take his (laughs) brother back, put him in the bed, cover him up, and that would be it. And he goes, the most amazing thing happened. All of his developmental disorders, not all of them, but almost all of them, just went away. This guy literally hugged his little brother into his healing. Just like my friend in Montana did that, that's what Jesus is doing here. He is hugging this guy into his healing. And not only did Jesus heal this guy from his leprosy, he healed him from his loneliness. Can you imagine this guy? Put yourself in this position. It probably been months or even years since this guy had it, any human touch or sense of community. And here's Jesus taking hold of him. In that moment, this wave, this sense, strong sense of belonging would have just washed over this guy. It is a beautiful scene. It's actually one of my favorites. It gives him the heebie-jeebies, but it's beautiful. People all around the world right now are starting to realize the power of human touch. There are cuddle sanctuaries in California right now where if you're not getting enough touch, you can walk into these like fitness and workout centers, and they have these times where you get together with people, total strangers, and you just experience healthy platonic touch. That would freak most of you out, right, okay? But they do it, and it's really amazing. You can Google it, okay? And then there's neonatal units where people, babies that especially that are orphans, have grandmas come in there, and they just grab them and hold them and rock them, experiencing healthy human touch. There's a, a block party that a church did years ago in, in uh, inner city neighborhood of Los Angeles, and one of the things they did was put three grandmas on a flatbed truck about half the size of this stage with rocking chairs and kids from this inner city neighborhood lined up around the corner to be rocked and held by these grandmas, because wouldn't you, okay, if you saw three grandmas on a flatbed truck in a park rocking, wouldn't you go, I'm in, okay, you just go up there. There's a restaurant in New Mexico, it's called Tim's Restaurant, great name, okay, It's billed as the friendliest restaurant in the world. Tim actually has Down syndrome, but that didn't stop him from opening up and running his restaurant. And one of the things on the menu, the food evidently is incredible, and one of the things on the menu is a free hug from Tim. So people order it all the time. They'll go, well, I I want the scrambled eggs and a side of bacon and orange juice, and I want a hug from Tim. And so the waitress goes and gets Tim and he runs out there, Google it, you're welcome. Okay, it'll totally make your day watching this guy. Even Charlie Brown, I ran across this poster, knows the power of human touch. Look at this poster. I love the kind of hugs where you can physically feel the sadness leaving your body. Yeah, right? Even he gets that. Some of you have had touch stolen from you, and I've mentioned this before. Maybe because of neglect or abuse or some other situation in your life, I am so sorry. I'm I'm sorry beyond words, but you have to know something here. We at Fifth Avenue Church believe in the healing power of touch. We really, truly do. So in our greeting times, we shake hands. We even hug. We do more than just fist bump. And that is foreign to some of you and maybe even scary. And that's fine. You can say no. If somebody tries to give you a hug and you go, Uh-uh-uh-uh. uh-uh, uh-uh, uh No, that's okay, okay? But as you grow in trust with the people around you in this faith community, don't be afraid to ask them for a hug sometime it could be an important part of your health and your healing. I can still remember the first time I came to a church like this. I was going to downtown Faith Center. I was in college. I was about 20 years old at the time. And they had a greeting time. And before I knew it, I was sitting next to a perfect stranger, this 5-foot, 2-inch grandma. Okay, I don't even know her name. Never saw her again. And they go, why don't you heal each other? They said, with some, why don't you greet each other rather with some sloppy agape, which is another word for love, some sloppy faith kind of love. And I go, what? And before I even knew what was happening, she like latched onto me. And I, I'm sorry for my language. But my first thought, what the hell are you doing? I don't even know you. I'm looking down at the top of her head, right? And my arms are up going, uh, I don't know what to do. And then in what was only milliseconds, but it seemed like eternity, I thought, well, this isn't so bad. Tap, tap. <laughs> okay, maybe that can be Your journey, okay? You start slow. You gotta start somewhere, okay? Let's look at amigo number two now, the paralytic. Let's read about him in verses 18 through 26. This is great. This is a famous story. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and lowered him in on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Sure, the homeowner was. So psyched about that decision, okay? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) What? Then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which should have freaked them out. It's like, he's reading my mind right now. Uh Uh-oh. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up your mat and take up your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. (laughs) Wow, how cool are these guys? this guy's friends. They carry this guy to Jesus. Toed him up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, lay him down in front of Jesus. I mean, they were go-getters. They just wouldn't be denied. I want to talk about the paralyzed guy in a minute. But first, let me say this. We don't bring God to people. Can I just say that to you? You've probably all heard people going on mission trips going, I can't wait to go on this mission trip because we're going to bring God to this country or this people group or this tribe. Well, you know, what happens to your flight? gets canceled. God can't make it, and these people are just out of luck, Okay. That is so silly to me. God is already there. We don't bring God to people, but we can bring people to God. We can usher them into the awareness and presence of the God who is already there with them. That's what this guy's friends did. And once they get their friend to Jesus, Jesus says some surprising things. The first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. Now again, put yourself in the position of this guy's friends. You've gone through all this hard work. You've brought him to Jesus. Who knows how far they had to drag him on the roads and stuff or carry him. And then they cut a hole in the roof, which they're probably going to have to pay for, and they lower him down to Jesus. And they're expecting Jesus to heal him. And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, your sins are forgiven. What? Come on, Jesus. We want you to heal him. And you're talking about forgiveness? That would be like going to a drive up today for lunch and ordering a cheeseburger, getting up to the window, and they hand you a guinea pig. And you're going, Guinea pigs are cool. Okay. I like guinea pigs, but it's just not what I was expecting. I was expecting a cheeseburger. These guys were expecting healing and they got forgiveness instead. But Jesus knew there was more going on than meets the eye. Not all suffering is visible. Sometimes that's that's just how it goes. Sometimes we have this sin, this disobedience, this guilt, this soul-type pollution that causes us all kinds of trouble. And it's just not visible. That's how it always goes. We're not punished um, for our sins so much as we're punished by our sins. Our sin, our disobedience, can cause us suffering. I want to put up on um, Psalm 31, there's just a couple of sentences from Psalm 31. The psalm writer, the poem writer in this case, has got some guilt in his life. He's done some things he knows are wrong, some activities or attitudes he knows are just not okay. And he says this about his life afterwards. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. My life is consumed with anguish. My strength fails. I have become like broken pottery. There are some very real and painful consequences that will come our way when we choose to live our life in opposition to the divine flow of God's purposes and love for us. It's not that God is against us. We're actually just going against the flow of where he wants to take us. And it causes some painful, painful circumstances. And Jesus saves us from that. You've heard that phrase, Jesus saves. And you're going, saves me from what? This is what he saves us from. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from that hidden suffering that is brought into our lives when we insist on living our lives against the grain of his love. Jesus heals this guy's heart way before he heals his body because he knows what's going on below the surface. And secondly... He tells him, pick up your mat in verse 24. Now, can you imagine? This guy probably had this mat he was laying on. He probably wanted to throw it away. This mat would have been a reminder of his old, sick, paralyzed, begging in the streets kind of life. But Jesus had healed him. He said, take the mat home. So he obeys and does it. This is not the only time Jesus does this. In John chapter 5, I'm going to put it up on the screen in a minute, there's this guy, and he's laying by a pool, and he is also lame. He can't walk. And the pool every once in a while gets ripples in it, and the people believed an angel was dipping its wings into the pool at this time, causing the ripples, and whoever got into the pool first was healed. Can you imagine the pressure? And here he is lame, so he'd see the ripples and go, I can't make it. Okay, so he'd probably been at the side of the pool for a long time, and look what Jesus says to him. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else beats me to it, goes down ahead of me then verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. So we're on to something here. There's a pattern here. Jesus tells several people to pick up their mat and take it with them. That's because Jesus knows the importance of memorials. We have memorials all around us. Memorials that remind us of important events or even important people. We have the Lincoln Memorial. We have the Vietnam Memorial. We have headstones in cemeteries. We even have the Herb Memorial Union, a building dedicated as a memorial to President Herb, Not the American President Herb, U of O President Herb. okay? Some memorials are even a little more personal. My daughter got a tattoo about a year ago because her grandfather on my wife's side, my wife's dad, passed away. And my daughter was really close to him. And my daughter's a pianist, in fact, took lessons from Joel, and is just a superb piano player. And every time My father-in-law would come over. um, He would walk into the room with Kelsey and go, Serenade me. He'd say those words, and then Kelsey would play him um, the latest song she was learning, some classical piece on the piano. So after he passed away, Kelsey painstakingly went through all of his letters and articles and found the letters to the word Serenade me and, and pieced those together in two words and got this tattoo on her arm. I'll show it to you. Serenade me. That's in his handwriting. So it's really cool. And she did this as a memorial, a memorial of how much she loved her grandpa and how much her grandpa loved her. Uh, A pastor not too long ago did did a funeral for a guy that was a total John Wayne fan. And again, if you're too young, John Wayne was one of the original Western cowboy tough guy stars, okay? You can Google that too. And he had a bunch of memorabilia and just all kinds of stuff from John Wayne. He was a collector. And one of the things he had was a pair of John Wayne's boots. Somehow he'd gotten a hold of these. And on the casket at the funeral, they placed these boots. And they were up there. And at the end of the service, the pastor did the coolest thing. He got the boots, took them over to the widow, and she just held them, like embraced them. And everybody knew at that moment, those aren't just boots. They're way more than that, right? They're a memorial. Memorials are that kind of powerful because we are all forgetters. We all need reminders. Memorials. When Jesus told this man, take up your mat and go home, he wanted him to bring that mat as a memorial of what Jesus had done for him that day, of how much Jesus loved him. I can just see this guy framing this nasty old mat and putting it on the walls as like a discussion starter. Can you imagine a couple of years down the road he's hosting a party and people come in and go, why you got that nasty old beggar's mat hanging up on the wall? And he would say, oh, you're not going to believe this. I used to be paralyzed and this person named Jesus healed me and I love him so much, let me tell you about him. I mean, that would get the party started. I urge you, I urge you, take up your mat. Make this personal. Have memorials in your life. Have things that remind you of how amazing Jesus is and how much he loves you and these special moments you've had for him. Maybe it's a scripture written down in a journal. Maybe it's a, a photograph. Maybe it's a it's a picture on a wall, or maybe it's a special you know, something written in your Bible, or maybe even a tattoo. Whatever it is, take up your mat. This Wednesday, and this is your fault, Bill. You started me on all this. This Wednesday I'm actually getting another tattoo. I can't seem to stop. And so I'm getting another tattoo, and it's purely a memorial. It's a memorial of this amazing moment I had with not only my family, but with the Lord that I never want to forget, okay? We are also doing baptisms here the week after Easter. Great time to be baptized after you celebrate the resurrection. And baptism is this crazy cool experience where the the water symbolizes the grave, and you're saying to yourself and to all the world— I died to my old life apart from God, and I'm being risen up to a new life connected to Jesus. And then we're going to hand you a baptismal certificate. If you don't have any memorials in your life, start there. A baptismal certificate is a great memorial, okay? And lastly, and this will be a little shorter, don't panic, okay? Amigo number three, the tax guy. Let's read about the tax guy in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And he did that. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and other people were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor. But it is sick. Okay. In these verses, this guy named Levi, who was later on called Matthew, meets Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, and he does it. If you didn't hear my sermon last week, listen to it online, because we complicate following Jesus, and Jesus doesn't. He just looks at him and goes, follow me, and Matthew goes, all right, here we go. Okay? It was that simple. It's interesting that Matthew's a tax collector, though, because these people were looked down upon in their culture. They're basically a band of greedy, white-collar criminals that were always cooking the books in their favor. People did not like tax collectors at all. But after following Jesus, this tax collector, Matthew, invites Jesus to a big party, this big banquet at his house with a bunch of other white-collar criminals and tax collectors. More on that in a second. I'm going to put a comma there. But first, a little bit about covenants. There's this word in the Bible called covenants. People always have made agreements with each other, but in Bible times, the really important agreements were called covenants. To enter into a covenant with someone meant you entered into a deep relationship with them, a close friendship, almost like a marriage. And covenants weren't sealed by signing a document. Covenants in the time of the Bible were sealed by eating a meal with someone. So, back to the story of Matthew, okay? When Jesus went into his house, what does he do? He shares a meal with him. So that's a clue to you. Right off the bat, you know, this isn't just some social gathering. This isn't just a night on the town. Jesus is entering into a deep, close, family-like relationship with these people. He's becoming part of them. How cool is that, okay? This would have been quite the scandal, like TMZ material for this town. They were going, oh my gosh, this holy man, this rabbi? is entering into a covenant-type relationship with these people, these criminals. This would be like me finding out, it'd be like you finding out that I went to a birthday party for a drug lord, okay? I haven't, I don't know any drug lords, and none of them invited me to their birthday party, but I totally would. So if you meet a drug lord, and they want to have a pastor to their birthday party, let me know I'm there for you, okay? (laughs) But this is just all so cool to me, because earlier in the chapter... Jesus had told Peter, one of the disciples that would have been there, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And then he goes and does this with Matthew. This was Peter's first fishing lesson, okay? You want to evangelize Peter? You want to help people connect with God? Great. Follow my example. Do what I'm doing with Matthew and his friends. For years, the United States has thought that the best way to evangelize people, to help them connect to God, is through the use of fear. We need to scare people into a relationship with God. So there's been a lot of sermons in the ilk of love God or else. Love God or else He will make your life miserable and that misery will will continue all throughout eternity. That kind of thing. A lot of talk about smiting and shame and stuff like this. Jesus doesn't do that. Evangelism by terrorism isn't His strategy, okay? Jesus uses love as His strategy. Some of you have a desire for friends and family members to meet the Lord. Great. That's so great. But drop your terrorism tactics. Don't shame them. Don't threaten them. Don't try to scare them into a relationship with God. Don't do any of that. Don't beat them over the head with a Bible. Love them. Hug them. Be with them. Become part of them. Because God becomes so real and so visible to them in our relationships with them. Let's pray. Can we?